Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. Hey friends, welcome back to the Cattleman's Call podcast. I'm your host, Lane Nordland. Happy to be back with you here once again. And this conversation is coming to you from the fall of 2021. And up where I'm broadcasting from in north central Montana, it is fall slash early winter. We're getting those cold 30 degree mornings where there's a little bit of ice out on the water tanks and uh, a few feet of snow up in the higher elevations and uh, very much needed uh, relief for cattlemen and women in parts of Montana and the Dakotas here this week. But we know the drought conditions uh, have really had an impact on producers and weather. That's what we're going to be talking about here today. And joining us is a, a face and a voice that cattle producers have been able to hear on Cattlemen to Cattlemen. We are joined by meteorologist Matt Makins. And Matt, uh, how are things going in the state of Colorado for you this afternoon? Well, we're actually going to catch some of your winter. You sent it from Montana and pushing it our way. So, Temperatures are steadily dropping, and we've got snow in the foothills, and uh, expect to see a little bit of that white stuff here at my place. I live up above Denver in the foothills, and we're going to have some snow tonight with the first pretty substantial freeze. So, yeah, we're looking at uh, quite a change moving in after the warmth we've had so far, but uh, a little bit uh, late compared to last year. Uh, We had snow in September, uh, but we're right on par down here to to start off our fall and, and bringing some snow. Well, again, uh, it's it's so great to see the snow, especially in areas where uh, we, we still have wildfires burning in, in so many parts of the West. This snow, truly a much-needed relief. But, Matt, before we jump into uh, our current weather and our future weather outlooks, uh, for our listeners, I just want them to get to know you a little more. Uh, they, they may see you on uh, Cattlemen to Cattlemen, uh, sharing those important weather updates. They may have seen you in the past on local tv stations or giving reports out on the airwaves so so uh, for our listeners who is matt makins let's talk about your past uh and how how you got to be uh one of the uh, weather experts uh for cattlemen to cattlemen sure sounds good well honestly i'm right now in my home and which is one mile as the crow flies from where i grew up and this is in uh, open country in Douglas County, Colorado, which is south of Denver. A little town called Castle Rock. Used to be small. It was about six or 8,000 when I was growing up here. And now we've exploded. So we're a huge part of the metro area now. Uh, but it was growing up very agricultural minded. A lot of ranches. Um, and I grew up on a small one. My dad is a veterinarian. Uh, he did large and small animal. But where I grew up, we had Plenty of room for plenty of uh, uh, cattle, hogs, all kinds of poultry, and they were all part of our 4-H project. So I'm a 4-H kid, did livestock judging. My older brothers were the same. Some of them did a little bit of rodeo, and uh, I didn't get into that, and uh, I was kind of more toward helping my dad with the vet stuff. I was a science minded from very young. So I liked helping dad treat the animals and help him at his clinic. And then when it came time to decide what to do with life, I I always loved the weather. And where I grew up, we had intense snow amounts. You know, you go to bed one night, you wake up, there's three feet outside. 
Uh, we'd have tremendous uh, summer thunderstorms where there'd be blue skies, and then within 30 minutes, you're seeing large damaging hail fall. So those kind of phenomenon always, always were really uh, kind of piqued my curiosity. Uh, and going through school, I had a couple of teachers that really embraced that. Some had taken weather courses in college and gave me their old textbooks. Uh, but then I got to the point of graduating high school and decided to go to Kansas, KU, so Rock Chalk Jayhawk, and a very small atmospheric science program there. And that's where I got my degree. And while there, kind of the focus would be, is kind of a research track mentality and also a energy sector mentality. So I was all set to work for coal-fired power. And wouldn't you know it, the EPA said, well, we're not going to build any more new coal-fired power plants. So that put me kind of in the help-wanted section of the newspaper, joking aside. Uh, I had done an internship in the local TV station while in college just to see what, you know, it would be like. I called, and sure enough, you know, I got connected into local television, worked in Lawrence, Topeka, then moved to Wichita, a lot of severe weather coverage in Wichita, uh, the Greensburg tornado, one of the largest ever recorded, worked that night. Then that event sent me off to Orlando, covering tropical storms, hurricanes, uh, covered multiple tornadoes down there, and a lot of flooding from the tropical storm and hurricane activity. And then I really needed to get back home. Uh, so in 2010, moved to Denver, still working in television, and uh, worked in Denver on the airwaves for about 10 years. And during that time, saw the, the TV broadcast industry really shy away from getting into, you know, the science and the actionable weather information that I think people need. So early this year, 2021, uh, sat down with my wife and we said, now's the time. So I branched out and uh, you're going to see a lot of me in the ag sector. Uh, you'll likely see me at the uh, CattleCon in Houston uh, giving the weather presentation there. So, you know, I, I think the biggest thing for me is I've always loved weather and actionable weather and happy to provide that information, you know, whether it be people just want to know what apps are good on their phone, uh, what what information is new and out there and applicable. I'm happy to help with that. And of course, looking at weather forecasts and long range information uh, is kind of my my now my specialty outside of broadcasting since that that career has been put to bed, retired. <laughs> well, as you mentioned, uh, just having that uh, agriculture background and, and understanding it and. and uh, as you mentioned, your 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 siblings rodeoed. I rodeoed a bit too. But one thing I found out since I'm getting my dad bod that uh, these buckles dig into your your belly when you're driving down the road nowadays. So you're not missing out anything on the the uh, rodeo triumph <laughs> end of things. But but Matt, uh, just tying that back into the importance for a meteorologist to understand agriculture because for our friends tuning into this we we're in the gambling business of being involved in production agriculture we are so dependent on the weather and 
being in uh, uh, in radio and broadcast television still, even though my, as I just mentioned, we just moved to our new homestead and I'm currently putting up my new TV background uh, <laughs> right now and my home studio. I've, I haven't been in a TV studio since the beginning of the pandemic and I love being able to work from home uh, in my sweatpants or my, my, uh, my, <laughs> my cow manure covered uh, pants or whatever it might be. But that confidence that you can give producers by understanding what they're going through, because so many of these little Western TV stations, they have a, a, a pretty green person out of college that uh, just got certified as a forecaster or a meteorologist. And uh, I, I have so many ranchers reach out to me saying, Lane, why is this new weather person? Why are they saying, oh, yeah, it's going to be dry this weekend. We need rain or we don't need rain. Well, I, I hear that so much. But for you, how important is it in these forecasts to actually have an understanding of what farmers and ranchers are going through? I think it's tremendously huge. And, you know, I was in some major ag states, Kansas, then one of the cattle, uh, cattle capitals in Florida, and then coming back to Colorado where irrigation is so tremendously huge. You know, we are a dry state. We depend on snow and snowpack to help irrigate as we get into the spring summer and hopefully we had enough snow to get us into fall whereas this year we couldn't even get out of spring uh but when you look at you know tying back into the broadcast aspect you're not catering to anybody you know making money outside of the metro area you are catering to the moms and dads who take their kids to school and that's fantastic information but, you know, in Colorado, look at Denver and you're surrounded by huge ag communities, all the eastern counties uh, down to the south where Coors and others are producing a lot of potatoes and barley and, and things. Uh, there's a huge need for that information that just isn't publicly available. It may be on phones, but, you know, from a TV guy's perspective, that's why I said actionable weather information in a television broadcast has really decreased a lot. Uh, in my opinion, over the last decade or so. And so I think it's, you know, I feel bad for producers that should you fertilize now, should you not? Uh, this tremendous cold snap, are you going to be up all night pulling calves into the cab of your truck just trying to survive? Is it going to be wet and cold? Those kind of things. And that, that's just information I couldn't provide in the TV day job. Uh, I, I started a blog on the side, which could address that. But, you know, television management doesn't want to hear those things. They want to hear about the mom and the dad at the bus stop in the morning. And and that's a huge population. Don't get me wrong. But you're when you're dealing with livelihood and you could, you know, your whole income is riding on one storm event. That's in, that's critical information to pass along to. And uh, now that, of course, you've partnered up with uh, Cattlemen to Cattlemen on TV, uh, this is just one more way that producers can actually rely on your insight and your forecast. So what has that been like, jumping on board and, and uh, uh, being able to, to share this insight on RFD TV on NCBA's Cattlemen to Cattlemen? I think it offers a good perspective because anybody that watches RFD, you know, there is a there's a weather wheel built into RFTV provided by them where it's, you know, some weather forecast information over the short term to medium term. Um, so in talking with Cattleman to Cattleman and Kevin Oshner, it's it's more about, you know, what are the heads up items that people are not seeing 
whether it be local television, RFD, uh, maybe Weather Channel, any of those, what are they not seeing? And they're not seeing a lot of drought impact. What are the impact areas? How long will it persist? They're not getting a lot of information regarding monthly outlooks. You may see a week or two on your phone or your television, but you're not hearing about the next month or even the next season. So I think that's information. It's only a two minute segment, you know, uh, but it's a good opportunity to to give folks that drought background. Where do we sit now since that's top of mind? As we get into winter, we'll talk a lot more about snowpack and where we're going to have some water available for irrigation and for stock uh, next year. We'll get into that information, but it's also a good resource for folks to just get a quick look at what can you expect in that next month, you know, the next 45 days or something like that. It's, it's a pretty valuable resource. So just looking at uh, what our current weather conditions are across the country, uh, you, you gave a, a, a glimpse into uh, our Western uh, conditions. But uh, right now, as you watch the patterns and uh, dive into the science of meteorology, uh, what, what are you seeing currently? Well, we've, we're kind of coming off of a very active tropical storm and hurricane pattern, which really spent a lot of water to the east and the southeast, up the eastern seaboard. And the season does continue through the end of November. So we're not done with that kind of activity. But here more recently, we've seen an uptick in severe weather, you know, tornadoes, hail, wind, those kind of reports have been coming in more widespread from and that'd be North Dakota all the way down to Texas. So we've seen kind of a secondary severe weather season, if you will, of damaging thunderstorms. And some of those storms have produced quite a bit of rainfall also. There's going to be some flooding concerns with that activity. And that's as we transition from kind of the summer doldrums that the western two-thirds of the country had. And that's as we transition from that period into fall and winter. We're going to start to see more of these cold fronts barreling through the stronger systems. And that's kind of the sign we've seen here the last couple of weeks of the uptick in severe weather that indicates cold weather starting to move in. A lot of energetic systems are moving in as well. And as we transition over the next, say, 30 to 45 days, we're going to see those precip patterns fluctuate as we start bringing in these bigger storm systems, and that will at times include the Western U.S. and not just be a Central or East Coast kind of deal. And uh, we we in the West know the severity of the drought uh, this year and in consecutive years over the past uh, uh, several years back to back. And when we look at the drought situation in the West, Matt, are we going to have a little bit of a reprieve? I mean, in, in looking at the situation for the wintertime, are we going to have adequate snow levels? I, I know this is it's a science, but it's also a little bit of a prediction as well. What, what, what are your thoughts on the drought situation in the West? Well, folks can read more about it in the October uh, newspaper. I'll break down what we are in, and it's called a mega drought. It's one of the most substantial droughts we've been in in a thousand years. Uh, it's long in duration. You know, we're coming in roughly our 20th year of drought. Um, and as far as the drought coverage area for the country, it's one of the highest for the year on record, too. So you're looking at one of the highest drought ratings or coverage areas for a single year 
in addition to one of the longer lasting drought periods now at about 20 years. And we are in what's called a mega drought. And to get out of mega droughts, it can take a tremendously long time. Some in history, you know, end at 30 years, 40 years or 50 years. Uh, we would hope that we could be done with this in the next 10, but it's going to take a very long time to do that. And what we need are heavy snow producing seasons. How I see this season unfolding is not going to be favorable for the Colorado River Basin. The Southwest, California, largely into Utah, Colorado. This is not a weather pattern setup that favors a lot of snowfall for those. If you look into Oregon, Washington, sections of Idaho, western Montana, you can, and I should include around Yellowstone and the Tetons, so northwestern Wyoming, you can see history where there's an uptick in snowfall. I wouldn't call it a great season. But should the snowpack there be better than last year? It should. Sadly, for Colorado, the southwest, as just mentioned, it's not going to be very good. So for the west as a whole, I'm not really looking at a very excitable winter into spring for snowpack. And that's going to be a problem for supplemental waters, obviously, as we get into spring and summer. But the good news will be that we will likely end this La Nina period last year and this year. We will likely end that period. And the hope is to transition not only back to neutral in that regard, but into El Nino. And an El Nino, let's just pause for a moment and assume El Nino is here. And maybe next fall, next October, I'm chatting with you again. We're excited about El Nino. If that is the case, that can supply a lot of snowpack and that would boost our water supplies, and that would be a tremendous gain on beating down the drought. But again, we're talking a year out. This year, that's not necessarily in the cards that are being dealt to us so far. Now, maybe let's actually dive into La Nina and El Nino. I know in uh, Earth Science back in uh, junior high and high school, all of us... Uh had to learn about these two weather events but uh, for some of us we may have forgot what uh, what our science curriculum was 10 20 30 years ago could you maybe just expand on these two different events and also maybe talk about the neutral phase in between La Nina and El Nino and, and again as you mentioned El Nino would be beneficial uh, for our producers out in the countryside for the most part for the most part yeah okay so when you look at the globe, just picture the map of the whole globe, and you're just looking at the oceans. Well, we've, we have a, quite a long period of record of what the ocean temperatures are, mostly at the surface, but we can get down to the depths as well. And since the advent of satellite technology the last few decades, the accuracy and kind of the coverage area of those ocean temperatures are quite well recorded. But you can go way back to World War I and II, and meteorologists and geoscientists, scientists were sitting around the rock. We know there's a connection. We're observing a connection between the temperature of ocean and what the weather does above it. And El Nino or La Nina is exactly that. You might hear those referred to as ENSO. You know, that would be a collective term for El Nino and La Nina together. Uh, but what we're looking at there is there's an area of Pacific Ocean right along the equator. And it likes to fluctuate between being warm and being cooler than average. And as it fluctuates, 
it impacts the weather above it. And in that region of the globe, that region of the world, if you impact the weather right around the equator there, you will send shock waves around the globe where it begins to react in certain ways. So we're looking at currently ocean temperatures cooler than average. That implies La Nina in that section of ocean. And the atmosphere above it begins to react and says, there's a La Nina down here. I'm going to behave in this way. And we're not talking about you know, every La Nina or El Nino year, they're not going to be identical. But you see global weather patterns that do shift, kind of like a teeter-totter. You're shifting odds of wetness, dryness, heat, cold. You're shifting the scales toward one direction or the other by bringing in El Nino or La Nina conditions. And this year with La Nina, the impact on the country would typically bring higher moisture totals to Oregon and Washington, far, far northern California, stretching into the northern to central Rockies. So Canada down into Montana and northern Wyoming. That would be a classic La Nina area for wetness. Not every year is the same, so I've adjusted that forecast slightly, but that would give you the general idea. And then as that ocean begins to warm, and again, projections are that they'll, that section of ocean we discussed will warm as we get into 2022, especially the spring and summer. That implies El Nino. And when that happens, the atmosphere above that section of ocean begins to act differently. And that begins to shift the weather pattern. And when that happens, we start to see much wetter weather impact southwestern parts of the country. Uh, and it will also impact severe weather chances and hurricanes and all that, too. So hopefully that's as clear as mud on <laughs> Enso or El Nino and La Nina and what that does to our atmosphere. Now, we focused quite a bit of our conversation on the West because uh, that is closest to uh, both of our hearts, uh, being from Colorado and Montana. But how are things looking for our friends in the Northeast and Southeast uh, here early fall and and moving into the winter uh, forecast-wise? When I say hit and miss, truly, that's what I mean in this setup. Uh, For anybody along the East Coast, somewhat toward the interior, say the Ohio Valley, down into the southeastern states in Florida. What I mean by hit and miss is you will be dependent upon the tropical storm and hurricane season for fall moisture. You're not getting that activity, you will be drier than average. These frontal systems that are moving through the west will provide the bigger impact west. Uh, you'll have to watch out for severe weather chances as as we start to transition though. And as you look, that was fall. Now, as you look into winter, by and large, very quiet, classically going to be near to drier than average. And then you start to hit the tail end of winter and move into spring. And we may, in this year, going into 2022, start to see an uptick in those nor'easters that spread a lot of moisture from, you know, roughly Pennsylvania on up toward Maine, uh, really impacting Massachusetts and things. But by and large, with this setup, you know, classically looking at near to drier than average conditions for those off to the east. And temperature-wise, some pockets are cold, but generally speaking, you're looking at uh, around an average temperature set up for the winter season. 
And obviously right now we have corn and soybean harvest underway or wrapped up or, or soon to be underway in many parts of the Midwest and, and northern and eastern states. Uh, so these drier conditions truly are helping uh, get that crop put up uh, at, for our, our producers that are that are growing row crops as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, my family has some land in northeastern South Dakota, uh, primarily soybeans this year. We had some decent water that came through um, just before harvest. And, you know, it, it didn't necessarily help this year's crop, uh, but it was good to supplement soil conditions for, you know, next spring as things get going again. Uh, but the, that pattern did dry off just in time to get that stuff in. Uh, so, again, that's an isolated area of northeastern South Dakota, but certainly the timing there did help. And by and large, you're right. You know, we we had some moisture, which dropped the drought conditions somewhat for the Corn Belt. And then the timing of some of these systems may be inconvenient for a few. By and large, uh, it looks like everything is going to be trending toward a decent harvest uh, as far as working workable days, mm-hmm. I should say. Well, Matt, I don't know. There's some days where a farm broadcaster is the most despised man on air when the uh, when the cattle markets are in the red and the cash markets aren't very good. But there's days uh, where we're the saviors, and that is the same for a uh, meteorologist as well, uh, looking at weather events and whatnot. But truly... You are a source for producers on on to make these short-term and long-term decisions. Uh, where can our friends uh, find more about your forecasts and your insight, whether that be on Cattleman to Cattleman or your other uh, uh, online sources as well? Well, Cattleman to Cattleman will be uh, obviously RFD Tuesday evenings. That's going to be a source of information. Look for those Cattleman, uh, National Cattleman newspapers that come in monthly. Uh, a lot of times they'll include some forecast information in October's, uh, edition though, it'll be more tied to the drought and kind of some perspective on the drought and what it means at the big picture. And then often in November, we're going to chat about how technology has been changing in weather. So there's some different information there that you can find in the newspaper. Uh, Folks probably picked up their Directions magazine already this fall. Uh, If not, it should be in your mailbox pretty soon. And that has the full winter forecast. I say winter, but really it's now through spring forecast for weather conditions. So that's another source. and, And that's broken down by region for expectations. Aside from that, Uh, As the relationship grows with NCBA and others, you're going to see more material provided online, whether it be websites, but also social media channels. So NCBA on Facebook or Twitter, I'm sending kind of those nearer term heads up kind of posts to them so they can share with their audience. And that would be, you know, look for these wet areas next week in this region or Look for the sharp cold snap that's going to be possible in 10 days from now. So actionable weather will be found on social media channels. And then myself personally, uh, I do some stuff here locally in Colorado for weather5280.com. But as far as the national outlook, look for those resources from the NCBA, newspaper, magazine, uh, their website or their social media channels. And I'm happy to answer questions from anybody. You can find my contact information in those publications or resources to reach out. But all of those are somewhat different in the information I'm sending. So hopefully I've got everyone's bases covered uh, throughout those multiple channels. 
Well, and as Matt mentioned, the National Cattlemen, the uh, the print publication that is sent out to members, the October or 2021 Directions publication is out. You can actually find Matt's weather outlook uh, on page 58. It's actually two, three pages before the cattle market outlook and update because we all know the weather is the biggest factor when it comes to those markets as well. Uh, Matt, I, I know it's probably a pretty busy day there. And uh, of course, both of you, both of us broadcasting from our homes, that is the greatest thing on earth, having good internet and the capability of working from home as well. Uh, what, what are some last things you would just like to share with our friends tuning in to the Cattleman's Call podcast today? I think just look for updates as we get into winter and early 2022, and those updates revolving around, is El Nino coming? That would be the biggest, you know, mental boost, uh, water boost, all things above to help the country, especially the western two-thirds of it and western third, uh, get out of this drought situation for at least a time. Uh, So look for those good news stories to be coming out as we get into winter. Now, hopefully La Nina doesn't doesn't listen to this and say, well, I'm going to screw up Matt's forecast and just stick around a lot longer. Uh, But look for those El Nino stories to be popping, because when you start to read the headlines about El Nino, that's going to be good for the Southwest. We'll have to address some other issues with it, like severe weather chances increase and and damaging storm capabilities, the kind of the double-edged sword with that. But at least that would help with the water situation. Uh, But I think good news is is coming out that – you know, hopefully as the COVID situation, whatever it does, hopefully it eases and we can all see each other at in Houston if you're coming down to Cattle Con and and uh I'll I'll buy you seven up or a water. I can buy you a water, tap water. Uh, and we'll just sit around and we'll chat about uh, you know the outlook as we get into twenty twenty two. Well again, Matt Makins, you can tune in every Tuesday night on RFD TV to NCBA's Cattlemen to Cattlemen and look at those important forecasts that he will be sharing uh, that impact all producers across the entire nation when it comes to the weather that is so important to each and every cattleman and woman. Matt, uh, thanks for joining us here today, and I look forward to seeing you down in Houston in just a few, uh, I guess it's a few months away, but it'll be here before we know it. That's right. My pleasure, and thanks for having me, and we'll be chatting soon, I hope. Well, thanks again to Matt Makins, meteorologist for Cattlemen to Cattlemen, and for more information, you can find Matt online as well. Look him up in the National Cattlemen's Publications and also online on the Cattlemen to Cattlemen YouTube where you can watch those forecasts if you were unable to watch RFD TV on Tuesday night. Friends, that will do it for today's Cattlemen's Call podcast. I'm Lane Nordlund. Have a great day. Thanks for tuning in to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with Lane Nordlund. For more information, visit ncba.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.